Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. On the day I went to Paris in 1984, mm-hmm. um, I was booked to do Margaret Thatcher in the morning, drove up to 10 Downing Street in my funky little red car. Yeah. There was a barrier that went up and down like that, do, 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 at the bottom of 10 Downing Street, said to the policeman, hi, I'm here to see Margaret Thatcher. And he went, yeah, sure, right. He said, look, so he said, yeah, yeah, okay. So he looked down the list and mm-hmm. went, what's your name? Mary Greenwell. Oh yeah, there you are. Right, drive up. Hello and welcome back. This week's guest is the iconic makeup artist Mary Greenwell. In her 30 plus years in the industry, she's made up everyone from supermodels to royalty to Hollywood royalty, including Diana Princess of Wales, Kate Blanchett, Meghan Markle, Cindy Crawford, Margaret Thatcher, Jennifer Lawrence, Christy Tallington, and many, many others. She's also worked with all the titans of the photography world, including her Brits, Irving Penn, Mario Testino, Jurgen Teller, and David Bailey and also was assisted by some of the most well-known makeup artists today, including Lisa Eldridge and Charlotte Tilbury. Her influence on what we consider to be beautiful now is undeniable, and I'm so pleased that in this episode, Mary shares some story from the earlier part of her life, as well as some of the huge moments in her career for a fresh insight into a beauty industry legend. Here's Mary Greenwell. So, Mary, can we go back to your childhood, your very your first memories of looking at anything and seeing the beauty in it or this or being pleased by aesthetics i was very blessed i was brought up in the english countryside in a gorgeous garden and i was incredibly dreamy as a child where were you brought up where, where in west sussex okay and um it was in a great big lovely house and with parents who my mother was inc- extremely aesthetic and had great aesthetic values and um, the garden was divine and I remember I was because I was so dreamy I would often just wander off and sort of go and lie under I had my favourite tree was this great big oak tree that in the spring and summer was just beyond beautiful and you know so watch the sort of fluffy English clouds go by and that mm-hmm. I think is probably my first memory really strong memory of pure beauty mm-hmm. and pure the beauty also can be very relaxing and if it's if it's a very pure state it is a state of bliss mm-hmm. and um, I think that's what I look at now when I see beauty it's like what really touches you what touches me is the blissfulness of beauty the sort of the dreaminess the aesthetic that is so almost innocent in its purity I was always drawing and I was always like taking a flower and drawing and I was quite sort of quite good with my fingers always mm-hmm. quite good at drawing and um, so loved sort of, you know, getting a little new tulip and drawing that or whatever. My mother was quite a good critique as well. Mm-hmm. So that was quite fun in doing that. And then I would copy Peter Pan, uh, not Peter Pan, um, Beatrix Potter drawings out of, out of the Peter, Peter, Peter Pan. Was it Peter Pan? What is it? Peter? Uh, no, it's a... It's uh, a you know what I mean. Yeah, Peter, Peter Rabbit. Yeah, Peter, Peter Rabbit. Rabbit. Thank course, you. stupid me. <laughs> um, so I would copy Peter Rabbit drawings, like the really little complicated ones, and get all the flowers exactly the same. And mm. you know, it's quite good at imitating. I mean, I have to say that's probably why I went into makeup more than that. This is a part of my other story. Mm. But the reason why I end up doing makeup rather than being an artist, which I don't think makeup artists are, by the way, it's a mm. huge exaggeration to call us artists. We are great interpreters of beauty, okay. and we are great. We are, we are very good at helping someone achieve more beauty within their mm-hmm. sort of physical boundaries. But we are not artists. Artists are someone who creates something from nothing. Right. And the makeup we have, artists. We have a vision. We have the face already there. Okay. Yeah. So we're technicians. That's what we really are. Mm-hmm. And some are better than others. Full stop. So um, I was never, I, I was never that, um, I never believed in myself that much to become an artist. Mm-hmm. Although I think I could have been mm-hmm. if I had that kind of little extra bit of, um, what it would be sort of abstraction in my life. I didn't have it. It was quite practical. My my, my world was quite practical. What home. did your parents do? And did you have siblings? I had a sibling. I had a um, twin daughter. Twin, I had a twin mm-hmm. daughter. I had a twin sister who's now passed away um, because, you know, she was like, she was much, she, as we were growing up, she was much more beautiful. She was more ambitious. She was more, 
not more ambitious, which she seemed to be at the time, but more sporty and more clever and more every, everything. And I was like the little black sheep of the two of us. It was just the two of us. And then sadly, she was in the generation in London where you thought she was invincible. She became a heroin addict. So now has passed away. Mm-hmm. And I, t- we both kind of escaped our English upbringing, frankly. I mean, she did that and I went off to California, which mm-hmm. is part of my life story, mm-hmm. really. So that's what I would say what it was. You know. And were there products that you remember your mum using or anyone around you using? Do you know, she, I mean, she, you know, she was... Um, very chic, my mother, she didn't really, I didn't remember looking at her table and thinking, wow, this is, you know, what she used. I mean, I remember she used Arpege fragrance, which was divine. Mm-hmm. Um, she used, um, she had, funnily enough, she had a lead pencil, which she used in her eyes. Oh. Grey lead pencil. Okay. Which was like, you know, she was the first person to teach me that actually what you don't want to do is fill your eyes with some brown or red crayon, which is going to look faux. Right. So as we know, you always hit the bottom of your brow with the, with, with the colour that's kind of the most shaded colour. So, of course, a grey is a colour, in fact. Yeah. So because she was, she had this beautiful grey hair, mm. um, she used a lead pencil, which of course we completely not done nowadays. But you know, hey, but she was a makeup wearer. She enjoyed the way she, she looked. Didn't, she wasn't a makeup wearer. She okay. just had this few little things she did. She mm. wore, you know, that. She always put on powder, right. and she used to. Funny enough, I mean, it sounds so kind of um, contemporary, but she used to literally lick her finger and wipe her eyelid to get any of the powder off. Interesting. So her eyelid was always completely clean. Okay. Tiny bit of mascara, like that old fashioned Max, Max Factor mascara with a little mm. brush, which she used to spit into because it was her own. <laughs> um, and tiny bit of mascara, that, um, filled in her brows and then lipstick and powder, and that was it. And a tiny bit of rouge, like the old fashioned wonderful little rouges by Bourgeois that was th- yeah. then in little paper containers that were so oh, chic. Yeah. So that was, that's all she ever used. She wasn't a makeup freak at all. I mean, yeah. she wasn't her generation to be into makeup. But lot. she was curating the way she looked. She, she was, was absolutely yeah. curate, but she was very, yeah. very chic. So yeah. she was curating the way she looked only because she was so chic. I can show mm. you a picture of her. Oh, yes, please. When I was, um, I'll show you this picture when my sister and I were like two years old. Oh, Mary pads over to grab this beautiful framed picture. So that's, that's my mother and my twin oh, sister. Oh, wow. Oh, she yeah. is, she's glamorous, though. Incredibly glamorous. So as you're going into your teen years, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do as a profession? I had absolutely no idea at all. Okay. okay, first of all, I mean, I left school when I was 16. Okay. Because from my background and type, we didn't have to have an education. What were you good at at school? Nothing. But we didn't have to have an education when I was no. growing up. We really didn't. I was meant to get married, to, you know, and have children and live in the country or not, or live in mm-hmm. London, whatever. But I certainly wasn't meant to be independent and free. Yeah. And um, then, so I had no idea what I wanted to be, none. Very confused. I mean, we were both quite confused children, in fact, um, because we had wonderful parents who paid no attention to us at all. Were you close? To my sister. Mm. Of a type, I mean, she was my twin, mm. and I love her to death now in her passing. I love her very, very much, but we weren't very close, no. Okay. Um, but I think, so, you know, I got to, I went to America when I was, I mean, I was, my father was, reti- was retiring from work. Mm-hmm. So what did your father do? He was in insurance in Lloyd's. Okay. And he was retiring, mm-hmm. and he said to us, you know, did we want to go around the world with more, have a coming out party? Which meant in those days coming out and being presented to the Queen, right? Yes. Which is not what it is nowadays at all. No. Um, coming out nowadays would be to be fabulously open sexually, which of course was not a thing in those days. Mm-hmm. And so we... Um, so I won, actually, for funny enough, I won that one argument with my sister, which I didn't normally win, but it was agreed that we would go around the world with him, which was divine. He yeah. was so sweet. And we were 18 in, 18 in Hong Kong. Okay. And having left England, you know, when we were 17, obviously. Mm. And then went to America and so spent the last two weeks of our tour in America. And then I already had a plan that when I got to New York, I wasn't going to come back with them. I just okay. like, I'm not coming back because I was such a hippie. I Were was... you a bit of a rebel or was it? No, I was just a little hippie. Okay. And no, rebel, my sister was the rebel. Mm. I was much more like, just wanted to get away. Okay. So it wasn't about being a rebel. It was just realizing that I didn't really fit into the world that I was, that I didn't have a world in mm-hmm. England. I was very confused. I, I hated all the sort of the snobbery and I was a real hippie and I was living in Shepherd's Bush living in a sort of hippie community and sort of really not being part of that world that was so English and London and so sceny mm. and I always felt very sort of shy around people I was, in, I was incredibly shy okay. I was painfully shy I couldn't talk until um, I started well this is part of my story but actually I couldn't talk until I started to, doing cocaine Really? And I want you to keep that in. Okay. Because I feel that that is part of my story. Until I was about um, 
31, 32, mm-hmm. when I started to party a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I found my voice. So, what, so you're in your 20s. You decided to stay in New York. You tell your... I then... So, no, no, I was, eight, so, no, I was just okay. 18, darling. You were 18. I was just 18. I was just 18 in Hong Kong. Okay. And my father took us to New York on yeah. our way back. Yeah. And on our way, last step to come back to mm-hmm. London mm-hmm. was New York. And that's when I decided to stay. And you're very shy. And very you, shy. And you say so to what your dad, did I do? Here, yeah. What did what's, I? What's so your plan? I was like, my plan was I had a friend who was traveling around America, mm-hmm. and so I planned to meet her. She was it was one it was something you did when you were young. You either mm-hmm. went to Afghanistan, you went to America, and you did these kind of things. When in my generation, it was very very easy to do things that you wouldn't do any longer, mm-hmm. or with the ease. And so um, I met up with my friend, and in Maryland. Mm-hmm where she was staying and I had a cousin in Philadelphia so I went to see my cousin in Philadelphia for the weekend met, met my friend in Maryland she had in the back of the car this girl I didn't go on with at all for some reason she took an instant dislike to me I don't know why I still don't know to this day why okay and so we got to Chicago and I was really miserable crying in the back of the car and then went down to Denver and again really miserable and decided to call my one friend that I had in LA, who was my doctor's daughter. So I reached out to her and I mm-hmm. called Bridget in LA and said, Bridget, I'm really, really, really unhappy. I don't want, I don't want to go back home. I don't know what to do. Oh, by the way, another part of this really beautiful story is my father. When I told him I wanted to stay in America, yeah, he was like, okay, darling. You know, um, we, I better take you down to immigration and get your visa extended because my visa was only there for, mm. take this on note because it's really important, it was mm. only there for three weeks, but he didn't want me to be illegal, right? Right. So he took me down to immigration, which is the sweetest thing, one of the sweetest memories I ever have and still makes me cry. Mm. He was so lovely and we sat in immigration for like all morning when he had all his meetings to go to in, this, in New York City with me so I'd be legal in America and we eventually got in front of the um, immigration officer and there was only like me and two Puerto Ricans because at the time people weren't flooding into America we're talking mm. about early 70s okay mm. it was a very different world and he took me in and we, so we got my visa stamp for six months and he, you know I was so grateful to him and then when he left me he gave me 300 pounds oh, I said money. okay my darling which would have been like oh now in money terms it would have been no 200 pounds 300 pounds yeah and in in money terms it would have been now like three thousand dollars yeah and he said okay sweetheart see you soon you know so i thought great you know it's so sweet my parents so um, i love my father so much he's passed away but i did love him so much so i had this money and i had my friends and um so i called anyway so we got to denver colorado and i called my friend bridget and she said i said i'm really unhappy but i don't want to go home and i don't want to be in this car any longer and she said, okay, give me an hour and call me back in an hour. Mm. It was all landlines then. Mm. So I called her back in an hour and said, and she said, okay, so darling, go to the, this is amazing, this story, go to the MGM Grand Hotel where you can stay for three nights because she knew everyone in the film industry because she worked in the film industry, okay? She was a reporter right. and critic for movies. So right. she knew everyone. Mm. She knew the head of MGM. Mm. Go to the MGM Grand Hotel, say them who, tell them who you are and you have a room there for three nights and you can make up your mind what to do. Okay. You can either go back home from Denver because my father obviously left me a round trip ticket mm-hmm. or you can come be with me in LA. Mm-hmm. So I checked into the hotel and these, what, the girl who I didn't like came up to my room and said, can we stay here? And I said, no, you cannot. <laughs> she was so unkind to me. And so for three days, I thought about what to do. And I decided I would stay and obviously move, go to California. Mm-hmm. So I put a note in the, um, in the local health food shop saying, wanting a lift to LA, hitching to LA. So I got a message back from this really sweet guy. Please call this number at the hotel room number, blah, blah, blah. So I got a, a message back from this guy and he's saying, you know, yes, you, you know, I'm taking, I'm, I'm driving out to LA, but I'm going to San Francisco. Is that okay with you? So that's absolutely fine by me. So I said, well, Kenya, I want to meet you first. As if, you know, I mean, so. As so, if you could check someone. As if, I, you know, yeah. I, I, I suddenly want to meet him. And I, yeah. and I just said, yes. So he said, okay, where should we meet? So we, we met in the restaurant in the MGM Grand Hotel and he came and said, excuse me, can I ask why you're hitching when you're staying here? Mm-hmm. So I said, well, it's a long story, but, you know, basically I just have to get to LA and I know. Anyway, okay, fine. I got into the back of a van, white VW van, with this divine hippie guy, picked up two Jesus freaks along the way, okay. with, heading off to San Francisco from Colorado. I do, do you know America at all? I, I haven't been on that road okay. myself. So, so from Denver, you go into the desert immediately right. and up to San Francisco. Mm. And one of the agreements was that he took me on board with him is that I would drive. Mm-hmm. Now, I just passed my test in England, yeah. but I only had a provisional license, which is a little red book in my day, okay? Mm-hmm. A little red book. And um, 
you know, I thought no one would know the difference. Or I mean, so what? I'd pass the test. So anyway, so when we're in the de- middle of the desert with these kind of amazing straight roads that are just, just crazy roads, and it wasn't it wasn't freeways. It was literally desert roads. Um, this lovely man whose name I can't remember said, you know, can you drive now, Mary? I'm quite tired. I went, no problem. So I got behind the wheel. I'd never driven anything bigger than a mini in England, mm. you know, and I just passed my test, you mm. know, with a small car in England on the wrong. I'd never driven on the other side of the road before. And I'd never driven on like these really straight roads that just go in the middle of nowhere, right? Like kind of like, oh my goodness. So I got behind the wheel. It was so heavy. It was so clunky. It was so difficult. Like, all I kept doing was swerving across the road, like side, mm-hmm. going side to side. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find the control, you know, getting control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, suddenly behind us was a siren going, nee, 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 nee. So we pulled it over, pulled over. And the boys, because now we had the two Jesus freaks in the sky, they were going, <laughs> oh no, Mary, what have you done? I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Just I can't, I'm not used to driving on the wrong side of the road. Anyway, the police came up to the window and said, Hello, miss, what are you doing? You know, in American accents, what are you doing driving? I said, well, I mean, I'm just driving. And Can we see your license? So I had my little tiny red book mm. and they looked at it and took it back to their car. So you know how they always park behind them. They yeah. go back and say, don't get out of the car, don't move, whatever. And we, all the boys were sitting there going, oh, goodness me, what have we done? Mm. Oh, we're all smoking pot and like so sweet and so innocent. No one cared. It was so innocent, you yeah. know. Um, so anyway, they came back about 15 minutes later and said, Sorry, miss, you're driving illegally. This is a provisional license. So I was I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and they were like, I'm sorry. You have to, you know, we have to keep you back for the, you, you have to, we have to keep you in, 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 like, basically in jail for the weekend because it was a Friday. Oh, nice. We have to keep okay. you in jail for the weekend because this is totally illegal. And, as you know, you're driving on a provisional license in America and you obviously can't drive very well. And it's like, this is totally not right. So, you know, we're going to keep you behind. And, yeah. So I burst into tears. I mean, God, I've just been so blessed with so many mm. stories in my life. I burst into tears. And, but I can't leave my friends and I have to get to L.A. and I really, really must get there soon and da-da-da. So the, these policemen felt terribly sorry for me. They mm-hmm. also realized I was a complete idiot. <laughs> so um, they said, okay, we're back. So they went back to their car again, Yeah. called, I guess, the local judge, who I was going to have to see on Monday morning. They came back and said, right, the judge has agreed to see you now. It's now about six o'clock on a Friday evening, four o'clock, let's say, mm. four, 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 between four and six, um, and on a Friday evening, and the judge is prepared to see you now. So you get in our car, to me, you get in our car with us, miss, mm-hmm. and you guys, you follow us behind us, so then you, you can, you know... Carry on. Carry on. Yeah. So we got in the car, and we drove way up into, the, into Denver, into the beautiful Arizona desert, way, way up for like 45 minutes, mm. into the middle of nowhere on this hill, which is incredible. It was a fantastically beautiful hill, house on top of a hill. Yeah. Where, you know, they said, okay, there's the judge. The judge was standing on the doorstep with his wife. <laughs> so sweet. And they said, you might off you go and go and talk to the judge. So I went into the sitting room, and and they said to the boys, right, park there and, you know, someone will come out and see if you want any water or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I went in and sat with a judge who was absolutely divine. I can't tell you how sweet he was. And his wife, who were just like, what are you doing, little girl? You're so young. You're so innocent. You're so pure. And you're hitching around America and your parents are letting you do this. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. I'm fine. I can manage. I'm really strong. I'm really tough. And um, how much money, so, you know, it's like, okay, but, you know, really, this isn't good. This isn't good. You know, you're too young to be doing this. No, no, I'm just going to get to my lane, be my friend, I'll be fine. Yeah. So they said, um, okay, he said, so the judge said, how much money do you have? Mm. And by this time, I had like $20 left um, because we'd been on the road for like 10 days. Yeah. And, you know, money goes. And um, so I said, $20? And they said, that's not enough to get to L.A. I said, yeah, but it's okay. When I get to L.A., I'll be fine. My mother parents were wiring me some money. And they said, no, you know, this is really bad news. You've got to go. So they gave me, so the judge on the doorstep of his house, no, not on the doorstep, actually, while we were still sitting mm. down, he said, he gave me $200 and said, here, I never expect to see that money again. I don't want it back. I want you to get to L.A., and I want you to get home as soon as possible. So I got um, into the car yeah. and the boys were like, oh God, here she is. What's she been up to? You know, they're really bored, but they yeah. were so sweet. They stayed. I mean, <laughs> nowadays they would have just driven off and left me, you know. <laughs> yeah. They actually stayed and waited. Yeah. So we got in the car and we drove down this long drive, this wonderful long drive down to the little, to the streets, to, to the road again. Mm. And, um, and I said to the boys, when we got down out of sight of the policeman, and I said, I've got money. <laughs> and we'd been living on nothing but cottage cheese for like a... Uh, 
two or three days mm-hmm. already. No, two, only two days, actually. We hadn't been driving very far. One day, maybe. But mm-hmm. anyway, so we, we went to the sort of... We found, um, you know, a fast food restaurant mm-hmm. and had delicious... Like, you know, I bought everyone... So that got rid of that money pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And sort of, you know, had a, I fed them all and blah, blah, blah. And then we drove on up to San Francisco. And then we got to San Francisco and these two beautiful Jesus freaks got out and I was left with the original driver again. Anyway, on the way down, he said, do you mind if we just stop off at San Quentin Jail because I have to go and see a friend? I was like, not at all. <laughs> now I'm going to like go to the biggest one of the biggest American prisons in the world in the, in the American, <laughs> and visit someone. I've just come from England. No problem. Yeah. So we went up to San Quentin Prison where he was obviously seeing someone who probably, it was probably a drug dealer or something. Mm. So he wasn't like high security. It was, you know, it's quite gentle. And I thought this is so much fun. I'm walking through the prison gates and da, 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 da. Yeah. And um, sat and talked to a prisoner for an hour. and was absolutely fascinated. Anyway, got down, did that, then just continued driving down to L.A., that whole story from beginning to end feels like that could be a film, like yeah. in and of itself. Yeah, it could be, couldn't One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah. Then I start hanging out with Bridget and Richard, and they are absolutely divine to me. They take me to everything. They take me to all the movies. I'm meeting mm-hmm. rock stars and film stars. And, and what, were you feeling overwhelmed by it? Is that no, not you're... at all. I've never, ever, because there's two things I've been really blessed with in my life. Yeah. One, I've never been frightened of anything, mm-hmm. because I think I'm too dumb. <laughs> two, I've never been intimidated by anybody, ever, ever. Ever. Not when I'm doing makeup and never have I been intimidated by anybody. Okay, but then tell me about the shyness. But the shyness meant that I never had to say anything anyway. So what were you shy about then? So Myself. Right, okay. So other people didn't phase you, but you didn't... Did, I didn't did have, have any have confidence conf- to talk. Right, you didn't have the confidence in yourself. I didn't have yeah. the confidence to talk. I always just thought I was a really stupid little girl and therefore wouldn't, could be around anybody. Right. But never felt I had to contribute because I was too shy to contribute. So you were just happy to be in people's presence. Yeah. They didn't bother you, but you just thought... No, I didn't I did, they didn't bother me, and I didn't bother them. Your life seems to have just swept you up, and things just... Everything happened <laughs> by, other people's, um, by other people's gifting to me. My angels have completely looked after me all my life. Are you religious? Not at all. Okay. Um, but I do believe in, in angels looking after you, and I do believe that things you are guided, absolutely right. 100%, but I'm not religious at all. Right. Um, I have, we, we all have our own faith, yeah. whatever that might be, whether it be absolutely nothing that you mm-hmm. believe in, it's still a faith in itself. Yes. So that my point is that I actually believe that one is taken care of by some power higher than yourself, mm-hmm. and I don't know, I'm not going to call it God, I'm not going to call it anything, I'm just going to yeah. say you are protected in some way. I moved out of Bridget and Richard and moved into my own apartment on Crescent Heights, because I started to work in Joe Allen's on the door, which okay. was really fun. Because Joe Allen's in LA, it's closed down now. Mm-hmm. But it's where everyone went okay. when you wanted to be, you know, be trendy. Okay. And so I was absolutely useless at serving food. And I used to get food and drop food and blah, blah, blah. So they quickly, quickly realized I was absolutely useless. But I was really quite good at putting it on the door okay. and saying, hello. Mm-hmm. Hi, Paul Newman, come sit down. Here's your table. You know, which is like what I did. And Jack Lemon every day would spit at the bar. And I used to get drunk with him every day after work. So when you're in LA and you're working, there was this moment when you had a boyfriend. So I'm working in Joe Allen's. Yes. And it was a Sunday afternoon. And he came in for lunch. And I hadn't seen him the night before because he was really busy because he was opening up Fiorucci in L.A. Yes. And so he came in he said, with his business partner and said, oh, wow, why haven't I thought of you before? You've been perfect to represent the makeup county in Fiorucci. And I was like, darling, this face has never worn makeup. Why are you picking on me? I mean, this is wonderful, but I really don't think I'm the one you're looking for. He said, yes, you are. You've been really good at it. This was like the biggest platter 
ever. Yeah. Okay. This was like a gift from God. Another one. And I said, but you know, really? He said, yeah, yeah. So we agreed that um, I would say that I'd done Bieber makeup in London, which I had not done at all. Mm-hmm. The first I got, to, the nearest I got to Bieber makeup in London was working on the boots counter in Bieber over one Christmas time, mm-hmm. a few years back. And you know, so I knew nothing about makeup. But the wonder, the wonderful Alana Harkavi, who owns Il Maquillage, mm-hmm. took me on in the guise that I knew about makeup, which I did not. And um, was absolutely amazing. And she took me down to, the, to her studio. Mm-hmm. In um, she took me into her down in her shop. Cause so, so then Uri and I flew to, to New York, and he put me up in this sweet, sweet little apartment. And in her shop, she had her makeup studio downstairs, where she did my makeup from. You know, she did my whole face in the whole seventy style, mm-hmm. which was quite full on. It was contour. It was everything. It was full on. And um, I remember clocking it all, going, oh, wow, this is amazing. Mm, mm. And I looked at my face afterwards and said, I look completely different. And it's fantastic. I was looking at my face going, this is amazing what she's done to my face. Mm-hmm. So I clocked it. And then went up on the, onto, the, onto the, fl- the floor, shop floor. It was a tiny little shop. I mean, no bigger than this kitchen. And um, worked in the, in the, there for like two weeks and loved it and started selling makeup and just loved it and was mm-hmm. really good at picking colors for people so I started selling makeup and feeling very confident that and being very good at it then I went back to, to LA and before I went to LA the day before I left Ilana who and she and I got on really well she gave me her tiny little makeup case and said I'm um, you know right this is my little makeup case and um, we're going to go to Scabulo Studio, which is, he was a big photographer yeah. then. And, you know, I want you to come with me. I want you to be my assistant. Mm. Will you come with me? So I was like, yeah, sure. So I walked out with that little box. And everything was diluted into little sizes because it's all her own products. Okay. And I was kind of this tiny little makeup box. I don't really know why she needs me, but I really like it. So I'm just going to be, you know, it's fine. This is no problem. Because mm. I didn't know what an assistant was. It's my one assistant job. And so um, we walked up to, and we walked in the studio and she said, can you lay all my products out for me? So I did that, no problem. Just, you know, because I'm, I'm also very, I feel also that, you know, if you, I've always had the ability and the sensibility that you have to do things properly in life. So if someone gives you an opportunity, you don't say, you don't make a mess of it. You do it to the nth degree, to perfection, to your standard of perfection, whatever. And hopefully my standard of perfection is pretty high. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I laid everything out really beautifully for her and it was all great. And then, you know, in walked Brooke Shields and this was my one time of ever being anything towards an assistant, but mm. things changed immediately. And the, the, her hair was already done. It was for a glamour cover. Her hair was, was already done. There were two dresses for Scabula to choose from. Mm. And the only thing left to do was her makeup. Mm. So Alana said to me, and there was no credits in those days. We're talking about literally 1975. There were no credits. There was mm-hmm. nothing like that. And no one cared. And she said, um, Mary, I think you should do the makeup today. I was like, oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So I went to the makeup room with this very young little person who, of course, didn't intimidate me at all. She was mm-hmm. far young. I mean, but, I mean, I was 24. Mm-hmm. And she was like 15. Gosh. And so we were both very young. Yeah. And she said, um, and so I did her makeup and I just... Everything that Alana did to me, I did to, to Brooke, but in a much more gentle way because she had very different colouring, was very different. So I made it very soft mm-hmm. and went out an hour later and said, you know, she's ready. And um, Alana and Scabula said, um, okay, we'll just bring her out. So, Brooke, can you come out and show them? And I was really, I had my, I had my throat, my heart was in my throat. I was so scared. <laughs> and she went out and I'd never done anyone makeup makeup before but don't forget never done anyone's makeup yeah and she walked out and Ilana and, and Scooby went lovely thanks Mary and I went back into the makeup room on my own and burst into tears <laughs> oh my god I did it I did it because I was so that was like so so frightening what a baptism I, of fire what a baptism of fire When you're talking about you did something that was softer on Brooke, um, when I think of your signature look, it is very much that you strengthen someone's face with softness. Does mm-hmm. that sound about right to you? Whatever you want to inter- okay. interpret, however you want, darling. So I always, th- the, the finished face that I see when I look at your iconic images are this kind of sense of the strength in the face, but it's soft. It's the, the lines are soft. It kind of makes someone look beautiful. And I just wondered if that's something that straight away you were 
just doing instinctively? Probably. Okay. I mean, I don't think I've ever been, you know, very good at sort of really wonderful, strong liner, for example, you know, and I've never, I mean, I can do it, of mm. course I can. But uh, yes, I'm much more about softness and blending and sort of smokiness. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And neutrality. Yeah. So the next thing that happened is, so I worked in the shop, it was really fun. And then mm. um, I came back to London for mm. a holiday. Yeah. And, and I suddenly realized that this is about, um, I was 20, so I was 70, how old was I? 79, I came back in 1979. Um, so I was, I'd been working for you for like two or three years mm-hmm. now, and it was the spring of 1979. And I went, came back to England from a hol- for a holiday, mm-hmm. and I called up Uri when I was in England and said, You know, Uri, I don't think I really want to come back to America, I think I want to stay home. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in my life, I felt I had something to offer the world, which is my um, ability to do makeup, okay. Right. And so I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to become a makeup artist. Then the next platter was when um, Melissa Richardson, who now owns Jam Jar Flowers, mm-hmm. opened up Take Two Models, okay. model agency. And she called me and I said, and I've known Melissa since I, was, since I literally went to childhood parties together with her. And she called me and said, darling, um, I'm opening up a model agency and I know you do makeup and I want you to test my girls for me. Mm-hmm. So I said, that's a lovely idea. Great, I'd love to. But, you know, in return, will you help me put me on the map, makeup-wise? Mm-hmm. And she went, absolutely. So the agency opened up. I did all the tests. And then through her, I met, um, I met Vanessa Lal, who was at, at Harper's Bazaar. Harper's at that time. Harper's and Queen at that time. Mm-hmm. And she was divine and absolutely fabulous. And she was like, started using me all the time. And then I moved agencies because Melissa realized that they were just becoming a model agency. So I moved to the best agency at the time in London um, called, what was it called? can't remember. It's closed down now anyway. Mm. Um, and so I moved there. And then I met Pamela Hansen, who was living in Paris. Okay. And with Harper's and Queen. And because she was doing a lot of shoots for Harper's and Queen. And she said to me, come to Paris. There's no makeup artist in Paris. Come to La Paris. You do so well. Yeah. So literally in 1984, mm-hmm. I've been doing makeup now in London for like two years. Mm-hmm. Two, like a lot. Since Melissa took me on. Um, since we started working together with Melissa. Since 1982. Beginning of 1982. Mm-hmm. So now it's been a good two years. So in April of 1984... I decided to go to Paris. I mean, no, obviously I decided a few months before that, got an agency, blah, 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 went to Paris in April of 1984. On the day I went to Paris in 1984, Mm -hmm. um, I was booked to do Margaret Thatcher in the the morning and (laughs) went to do Margaret, and drove up to, uh, drove up to, um, drove up to, 10 Downing Street in my funky little red car. Yeah. There was a barrier that went up and down like that. Do, 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 at the, te- the bottom of 10 Downing Street. Said to the policeman, Hi, I'm here to see Margaret Thatcher. And he went, Yeah, sure, right. He said, Look, so he said, Yeah, okay. So he looked down the list and mm-hmm. went, What's your name? Mary Greenwell. Oh, yeah, there you are. Right, drive up and park where all the photographers are banked every single day. Okay. Outside 10 Downing Street. I parked my car outside there, just drove up, parked my car, knocked on the way, bang, bang, bang. I'm going to see Margaret Thatcher. I went, yes, okay, can you come with us? I was taken up to this one of her personal private rooms on the second floor. We had to walk past all the portraits of all these prime ministers. Oh, I did my makeup, you know, laid out the makeup, and then I heard this booming voice coming down the stairs of this incredible, whether you like her or not, this mm. extraordinary woman. Mm. And down she came. She was absolutely delightful she was so nice she was so sweet she was so caring she asked more about my life and about you know me and what I was intending to do because Carol's exactly the same age as me she was like talking about her daughter and blah 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 and was I really okay working and what did I really want to do and just amazing yeah and then after doing her makeup she said do you want to listen to my speech so I said I'd love to so it was, she was recording this massive speech because it was, it was a whole of the, um, of the, the, the mining strikes going on up north in Scotland. So she was recording this great big presentation to mm-hmm. them, reasons, her raison d'etre, I guess. And, and so I listened to it, and it was a filming, BBC guest probably filming it. And um, I remember she made one mistake, and I was all, it was quite obvious. Yeah. And at the end, she said, I've got to do that again. I made one mistake. She did it again perfectly. I thought, how brilliant. You know, you've just, you've just spoken for 40 minutes, mm-hmm. yet you can remember the one mistake you made. Mm. So she did it again. She got up and said thank you to everyone. She came over to me, put out her hand, and then drew me to her and gave me, gave me a kiss on the cheek and said, look after yourself. I know you're going to Paris this afternoon because I told her, look after yourself. Have good luck in Paris. 
walked out and that's the last I ever saw her, of course. So off I went to Paris by plane that afternoon thinking, well, that's a good start to the day. And that's when there was that big moment of the five supermodels. Yeah. And, and we were all were... staying in the hotel together in Rue yeah. Saint-André-des-Arts. Yeah. And Hotel Saint, hotel Saint André des Arts. Mm-hmm. And it was a little hotel, and everyone was staying there, and me, and we just had the best time. It was the beginning in 1984 when they were all there together. And you were doing that makeup that it, I think is so embedded in people's minds of that time. The kind of, again, I'm thinking of the strength of face. And did you, when you were doing that, did you have any sense of it being such an iconic period for makeup and for. Absolutely none. None of us did. Okay. No, 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 because. Why would you? Mm. We're not living the moment. How can you then think, oh, this is iconic? You know, icon- iconism and, and all these things happen later. Mm-hmm. And do you remember any of the products at the time that you were using and you thought, this is fantastic? And I well, it. I remember when the first um, Yves Saint Laurent, um, when the first, what's it called, that um, concealer? Oh, Touche Claque. Oh, yes. When the first Touche Claque came out, and yes. that, was all, that was really fun. Yeah. And we were all using that together. It was yeah. literally the first concealer and a pen. I've got a couple of people written down that you've done. Um, you've talked about Margaret Thatcher, but one of them I've got down is Princess Diana. Can you tell us a bit about that? Um, yes, I mean, meeting Diana was just the most wonderful experience. I mean, so Vogue were doing a cover with her mm. and we were told to go to the studio with Sam, with Sam McKnight. We were told to go to the studio at this time. And Anna Harvey, who just passed away, sadly, was, was a really enormously influential in how she looked and how she appeared and was very helpful in her dress sense. She, mm-hmm. she wasn't her stylist, because that's coming up, that's a new term. Yeah. But she was, um, she, she really helped her. Yes. In finding her wardrobe and her, her look of style, mm-hmm. her look. And um, so Anna was the editor on the job for Vogue and mm-hmm. Patrick came over from New York to shoot. And Patrick had already shot her down in, in, in before in the country yes. with the kids when they were very young. So now this was the first opportunity for him to shoot her for Vogue. Mm-hmm. And Sam and I were there. We were, we were told, we weren't told who it was at all. Mm-hmm. Protocol was, was that we were not told who we were going to be working with. We were just told to look really smart that day okay. rather than like turning up looking scruffy, which we all, often do at work because you're scruffy but you're clean. Yes. You know? um, so Practical. Yeah, bit, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we were, told, we were told to turn up looking quite chic rather than messy. So we did, and Sam was wearing, I think he was even wearing a tie. <laughs> he was told to wear a tie. Okay. And I turned up in a white, you know, nice white shirt, etc. Anyway, in walks this wonderful lady, and of course, and you bow and curtsy and go, you know, morning, ma'am, morning, ma'am, mm. lovely to meet you. Mm. And she was the most delightful person in the world, you know. Mm. She was so sweet and so generous and so kind and so incredibly gracious. Mm. Whenever I read about Diana, people talk about her radiance and the sense that you felt that she was warm and caring and and giving. Is that was that also definitely? She was so kind. I mean, I, you know, mm. she was really just so gracious and so mm. so um, prepared to sort of you know. She took everything on board. She was mm. a totally real person. I mean, you know, what do I admire Diana most for? She was the first person to hug an AIDS victim. Victim. Yeah. She changed the world. She yeah. changed everyone's philosophy. She changed everyone's way of thinking. Mm-hmm. What she did by doing that was the biggest thing ever. Mm. And again, that's something that can really make me cry, that her, that her compassion was incredible. Yeah. You know, she was just so incredible. And I used to go and sort of have lunch with her at, at, um, in Kensington Palace. In, in one time, I remember, she used to just go and hang out with her. And one time I went there and she was having a, a, some kind of official lunch. And she said, do you want to stay for lunch? And I went, sure, I'd love to. And so it was a lovely, great big round table in the dining room at, dining room at Kensington Palace. Mm. And I think there were like 10 of us around the table, maybe 12. And um, and every time she opened her mouth, sort of everyone quietened down because everyone wanted to hear what she was saying because she was so, you know, so fabulous. And mm. It was so peaceful and gentle and gorgeous the way she talked and the way mm. she presented herself mm. that it was sort of just this wonderful thing you just respected and loved her and you just yeah. wanted to hear what she was saying. Yeah. So you, you'd be talking to someone on your left or right, of course, but then, you know, mm. Diana would come in with something, Princess, the lady Diana would sort of say something and everyone would sort of just prick up their ears and listen. And then you recently made up Meghan Markle. She's lovely. Right. She's absolutely delicious and sweet and kind and thoughtful. And I really admire her. You know, yeah. I, I, I think that, I think that the, the royal family are just extraordinary. I think they're great, and I think they do so much for the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was at dinner last night, and, and on the table next door to me were William and Catherine, and just being so lovely and natural and divine. This dinner, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and the dinner was all about Africa. And there I was mm-hmm. last night, sitting right beside them, yeah. just being really normal. You yeah. know? And I think the younger generation—they work very hard. They they're very um, engaged with what they're doing, and they're trying to bring about good change. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, okay, moving forward to your life now and how you and, and your, 
don't say beauty regime, but how you look after yourself. Um, so I wanted to ask you about long days on set and long flights, and that's a part of your life. So do you have uh, ways to protect your well-being and yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I live um, I live quite peacefully. I try to. I mean, I work really hard, but, you know, I really, really don't like to be out late. Mm-hmm. You know, I get up six o'clock every morning because that's my body clock. Mm-hmm. So because of that, you know, I, I like to be in bed quite early. Mm-hmm. Um, what time do you call early? Like 10? Yeah, okay. 10, 10, 30. Mm-hmm. And then I wake up at sort of 6, 6.15. Mm-hmm. Just naturally, bang, that's it. And do you have an um, exercise regime? Do you have a way of eating that helps look after you? Eating, I eat incredibly well. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't eat really bad food. I lo- the only thing I have, my big weakness, which I think is absolutely fine... Because I have chocolate every day because I love it. But like a healthy chocolate, yeah. you know. So that's fine. But yeah. I, and you know, sometimes I think you need that, especially dark chocolate. I think it's probably really good for you. But I know I eat well. I don't eat, I don't eat too, many, too much dairy. I don't eat too much meat. And I eat very well, yes. Yeah, yeah. so you're just a kind of quite balanced. Yeah, I think with, so. Yeah. I mean, that sounds so pretentious to say I eat oh, well. Yeah. But it, you know, it does sound pretentious yeah. to people who, who, you know, can only live off fast food or whatever because of their lifestyle or because they can't afford more. I mean, I'm blessed, yeah. you know. Yeah. And tell me about your um, your beauty regime. So starting with your hair and then your skin and makeup, what is it that you love using? Um, so my hair, I use Wendy R's products, which mm-hmm. I love. Do you know them? Yes. They just Didn't they just go into John, uh, Nicola Clark's John Frieda? Yes. Yes, quite, yeah. Yes, they're lovely. Yeah. I love her, the, the, her products. So yeah. my, I think my hair, really, my silkiness, my hair is really down to her. Mm-hmm. Um, the colour is done by Nicola Clark. And the cut is done by Joelle, who's the best cutter in London, full stop. Where's Joelle? Nicola Clark's. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. He's the best cutter in London. Okay. And I love him to pieces. So, I mean, he's a really good... And they're all good friends now. Mm. Okay, so your skincare and your makeup? Skincare is whatever I get my hands on. Okay. Incredibly spoiled. People are always sending me products to try, love. Have you ever had skin issues yourself? No, never. Okay, so you're very lucky then. I'm totally, yeah. t- totally blessed. I've never, mm. I've never had a spot in my life. Okay. Um, and how, when you're thinking about your future and, and what you want to do, have you ever thought about starting a makeup range? I know you've done perfumes, but... No, do you know what I have to say? That when I was living in New York in the, in the 80s, um, and when... when Calvin went, sorry, not Calvin, when, um, when Francois started his line and mm. when Laura Mercy started her line, that's when I realised I should have actually done my own line at the same time. But as someone said to me last night, it might not have worked. Because mm. I can think of two very successful makeup artists whose name I'm not going to mention, whose makeup lines did not work. Yeah. And so, you know, you can just look at the ones that did and go, oh, I wish I'd done that. Yeah. And of course, it would be amazing. And I'd love to have the chateau in the south of France because I had a really successful makeup line. But it doesn't matter. I've got the most amazing lifestyle. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've got my little house in Lamu, which I adore, and a wonderful life. And I'm really spoiled. Is it too late? I think it is too late because I think it takes a lot of energy. Would I love to do it? Not any longer. Mm-hmm. Would I love a collaboration? Absolutely, 100%. But to work that hard on my own to create something that might or might not work, yeah. I think is a little bit, it needs a lot of momentum, mm-hmm. it needs a lot of energy. And I feel that my energy now is actually into loving people. Mm-hmm. I love my clients so much and I would, uh, it's much, just as important for me to love my clients as it is to do my own makeup line. Yeah. And you have a lot, you have clients like, I'm thinking Kate Blanchett, that you work with a lot and you're, you yeah. have this really great synergy with and their, yes. their look. Yeah. Yes. Um, and do you feel the pace of the industry? I'm thinking with the internet age but with instagram with the way that things have changed do you feel it's become more frenzied do you think that somehow has negatively or positively impacted the role of a makeup artist i think it's a great platform for for one's own promotion mm-hmm. amazing in fact mm-hmm. i think it's um i think energetically i think that you can either be like some people and not do your own instagrams and leave it out to other people i don't have that kind of life that i need to other people do my own because mine is mine is so personal yeah so and i don't have as many followers as some people do but so i keep it so that does take up time you know doing instagrams to a stand that you want naming products and whatever it takes time yeah. but i think that it's just something we've all got used to doing yeah it's part of the daily daily it's part of work it's part mm. of the daily work mm. and you know the thing about that is it's because it's so personal and so private you can take your time doing it on your own you don't need to be talking to like you now mm. or talking to someone else you can just do it yeah so it kind of you can take ownership of your own yes yeah i like to take ownership, ownership of my own instagram yes yeah and um you must often be asked about makeup advice i'm imagining that there are very few places you go where someone doesn't ask you about do you know what the interesting thing is that no one asked me 
they really not? Okay. No, because everyone knows it's a job. So all my right. friends never ask me because they just see it. They know I work mm-hmm. and they know that's what my job is. And so therefore they wouldn't ever abuse me and sort of say, oh, can you do my makeup? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I just, it, I'm not that kind of person. Yeah. I think if I was 18, just starting off, and yeah. my friends like, oh, can you do my makeup? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm not. Yeah. And I've been doing this for a long, long time. So I, I'm over that kind of hump. Right. But can I ask you for our listeners, um, the listeners, just whether there's advice that you would give someone who is nervous about doing their face, who doesn't maybe have the confidence in putting on makeup, what you would tell them to do to enjoy their face more? I think, you know, what I think is really great now is I think there's so much information on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I think really, really, really tap into the makeup arts you love and just learn from the YouTubes. It's amazing. Okay. And um, that's a really great way. Mm -hmm. One. And even when I, you know, once in a while, I'll be like tossing and turning and I go, oh, I'll just go look at YouTube makeup channel. And it's really fun. Yeah. So it's, and it's really informative. Yeah. I mean, my dream would be to follow... 10 of the best makeup artists in the world around. Most of you actually whom I've trained, but never mind. Yeah, I was going to say, you trained all the <laughs> yes. good ones. <laughs> yeah. Still, there's a few I haven't. And just okay. to follow them around and watch how they, they, they do makeup. I'd be absolutely fascinating because yeah. everyone has their individual style. You yeah, know? yeah. And so I love that. And um, I wanted to ask you to finish. So I have asked you, as I ask all our guests, to name the products that have had resonance and significance in your life. And I wondered if you could just talk me through them. I have them here if you want to. Oh, yes, prompt. I can't remember which I told um, you, yes. But they're right there. And, okay. um, and yeah, just if you could just sort of give a little memory around them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So YSL number 19. So when I learned how to do makeup, you know, from, with Ilana, mm. who taught me how to do makeup, then I started wearing makeup, obviously. I wasn't wearing foundation or anything yet because my mm. skin was so good and I was so young. And I think that everything you have to do with makeup, you just you don't build wearing foundation unless you have to, for goodness mm-hmm. sake. If you've got beautiful skin, don't wear it. You know, make a really smoky eye and a gorgeous mouth, but leave your skin clean. Mm-hmm. So what I did do was immediately tap into this number 19 Yves Saint Laurent um, lipstick, which was a fuchsia pink. It was unbelievable. It was pure fuchsia. Densely packed, not moist. Densely packed. It was yeah. a proper lipstick. It yeah. was like of the old-fashioned kind, which is not... Now, it would, wasn't, wouldn't have been called a matte because that's too right. dry yeah. nor would it be called it would have been a satin a lovely right. real yeah. satin lipstick yeah. okay with good coverage and so you know my mouth was always quite full so I put mm-hmm. on this gorgeous 19 lipstick and just loved it and it was probably the first thing I ever wore makeup wise it was really seriously signature yeah on my own face yeah um, and then the other thing, of course, I, which I helped create was the Elizabeth Arden Smoky Pencils, which mm. are, to me, still the best things in the world. I love them, and everyone loves them. They're amazing. Everybody. I Look, didn't know that you'd had a hand in creating them. Yes. They're incredible. They're incredible, right? Mm. So I love those. Yeah. Love those. Um, then the other thing I loved was, oh, the Calvin Klein fragrance, which was just the best in you said the original that they don't make anymore they don't make it anymore oh, so it's not the one that um... no 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 they don't make it anymore it was so good and yes. I used to come I, when I was that's when I was living between Paris and, and New York mm. and I shared a house with um, Sam and lots of other people in Jane, on Jane Street in New York and I used to go back to Paris and come back to New York and mm. we, were always, we were always flying Concord yeah. most of the time back and forth yeah and then when I used to get back to New York and, and, I, and then they'd come back and I just got back from a trip or something and I'd be there and they'd go Mary's home because <laughs> the whole house used to reek my perfume you know mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. it was just really fun so that's what I was known <laughs> for Mary's back um so that was great and that was the original Calvin Klein it was divine yeah um, what do you wear now which perfume do you wear yours I wear my own still which one fire yeah okay I love fire I mean you know it's I feel really sad it's interesting actually since I've lost my own company um I don't have this passion for for um wearing I used to wear I used to wear the scent every single day. Mm-hmm. And since I, since I lost my own company, I've kind of lost faith in it, which is really sad. So I don't bother wearing fragrance any longer. Oh, that's so sad. I know. Actually, the other one I love is Eau de Soir by Sicily. I absolutely yeah. adore it. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, it is terrible to have something slightly ruined for you. Some Yeah, like pleasure. suddenly scent doesn't mean that so yeah. much to me, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's my issue. You know, that's something mm-hmm. I can get over or not, depending on whatever I feel. Um, but I did love it. Face and Body by MAC is... So moving on from that, mm. the face and body by MAC is something we all have in our kits. Mm-hmm. And it's the original face and body makeup. Mm-hmm. It's the original body makeup and it's just amazing. For people who aren't makeup artists, can you break down what you like about it? It's quite thin. Mm-hmm. It dries incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you put it on with moisturizer on your face, it won't dry so well. But right. if you put it on your body, it'll dry instantly. Mm-hmm. It's just a really, it's really light. The colors are amazing. Mm-hmm. It's very fluid. 
um, you know, you obviously wear your concealers over it, but it's just a lovely, I mean, on people with good skin, it's a great, gorgeous foundation. It's like, an, it's like almost like a tinted moisturiser. And you work a lot with your fingers, and I just wanted to, yes. do you put it on with your fingers? And you get, of course. Yeah, and you like to smooth it in. And yeah. is that because you like makeup to sort of meld in that way? And I don't understand brushes. Okay. I don't get them. I don't yeah. understand why someone would brush on foundation onto a face. Mm. I don't, there's no contact. Yeah, and you do quite a lot though with your fingers too. Do you ever do eyeshadow with your fingers? Yeah, sure. if it's a kind of the right texture. Yeah, just smudge it on. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, I you know I think if I forgot my brushes, I wouldn't be that that amiss. Even when you're using powders, if you're yeah. using powder, like for, I mean, obviously eyes is a bit tricky. You want detail, but you had tiny little brushes for that. Yeah, but you know you def- definitely don't need brushes for lipstick ever. <laughs> I never use a brush lip brush lip brush ever. You yeah, know, just yeah you know, use use liner and then mm-hmm. fill it in that's mm-hmm. where you do that make it soft and then you soften it with a q-tip even yeah and when you're doing like your cheeks you can get powders and just rub them in the back of your hand and then what's left and you'll just rub it onto the skin yeah thank you so much for telling us your life story and being so kind and generous with your time mary i feel like there are hundreds of films that could be made about your life <laughs> i don't know which one i'd start with possibly that one in the in the journey i think LA. that would be, a good, that would be a good start i would my i mean everyone says my book should be called breakfast with clint eastwood you must write a book. <laughs> you must do that. That's the next project. Thank you so much, Mary Greenwell. Thank you so much. So that was the charming Mary Greenwell. On a slight tangent, could anyone else listen to Mary's voice all day? I find something about just hearing her tell stories so soothing. So I think I'm going to have to listen back to this episode next time I feel stressed. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in this week. And as always, I would urge you to rate, review, and of course, subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes. See you next week. Bye. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.